Welcome back to a brand new series of the Food Fight podcast. I'm Matt Eastland. And I'm Lakshmi Balthasan. And we're both from EIT Food, Europe's leading innovation community working hard to make the food system more healthy, sustainable and trusted. On today's episode, it's all about personalized and targeted nutrition, looking at how new technology and thinking could help fine tune our food choices. As we know, when it comes to our health, one size does not fit all. So how do we work out what is right for us? And with more and more people getting interested in their own nutrition, there's been a simultaneous rise in brands trying to capitalize, too often with spurious health claims and products that are not quite what they seem. So how do we navigate that? Yeah, that's exactly right, Mad. Fat diets, health fraud, misinformation around every corner. But that's why we're here today. We invited two guests who can tell us all about how to approach personalized nutrition honestly and healthily. Joining us online from Barcelona is Emma Eck from the BU Wellness Platform, an app that helps to create healthy habits through personalized nutrition, fitness, and gamification. Hi, Emma. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. And also joining us today is Tommy Hayes from Lux Research, a data company who uncover untapped opportunities in all areas of tech. Tommy has a particular interest in personalized nutrition, so I'm really excited to talk to you about this. So thanks for being here, Tommy. Happy to be here. Pleasure to have you both on the podcast. So before we get into details of what you both do, it would be great to just kick off by talking about what personalized nutrition actually is. So Tommy, maybe we can start with you. Yeah, so the way that I see it, personalized nutrition is this, you know, all-encompassing field of kind of the sciences, the technologies that are going to deliver individualized dietary recommendations and products to consumers. So at, down to the individual personal level, I think that's what's most important to keep in focus when we're talking about personalized nutrition. And Tommy, just so is personalized nutrition even a new thing? So if we you look back not that far, you've got, let's say, an early primitive form of this where meal plans for bodybuilders, formula milk for babies. So could you give us a little bit of a history of, of where this has all come from? Yeah, it's all part of a long standing evolution, right? I think we've known from for some time, our friend Hippocrates, you know, said, let food be thy medicine and let medicine be thy food. So even before we were alive, and then, you know, you had your kind of your quote unquote fad diets, you know, mm -hmm. Atkins and whatnot that I think were booming in post World War II era. And then now I think it's just the access to data that we have about our own health and kind of the implications in terms of our diet and lifestyle that we can infer from that. That's kind of the evolution that's that's ongoing right now. Thanks very much. Mm. And Emma, you work for a startup that's really well in this space. Do you want to add anything in terms of what you think the definition of personalized nutrition is and how that sort of relates to what you do at BU? Yeah, of course. I mean, personalized nutrition, the way we see it at BU is that it's kind of one side of achieving total wellness, because at BU, we believe in, in something called the wellness pyramid. And this is the approach that we're having. And this is basically the synergy between three different elements that determined our total energy level. It will be the mental approach at the base of the pyramid. On the sides, we have nutrition and movement. So basically with this whole holistic approach, we can give the users optimal health, focusing on exactly the movement, nutrition and emotional well-being. 
driving healthy behaviors through a combination of gamification, social support, and financial incentives. Uh, thanks, Emma. And so if I'm somebody and I've just downloaded the BU app, I mean, how does it actually work? What will I find? What's the great benefit for everybody? Yeah, basically, the platform that we've created is something designed that is allows users to set goals. So it includes a habit tracker, for example, and an online community. So with the platform, we help users to adopt healthier habits, achieve personal goals and stay committed and also get rewarded. Because in the end of the day, like, what is a better motivator than, than earning rewards? This is, uh, this is how we think about it. Amazing. It's the interesting part of that personalized nutrition is because you're really tapping into sort of the psychology of it, right? The behavior. Exactly. Yeah. It's going on that whole human social level. Yeah, because personalized nutrition, obviously, is a huge opportunity, but we believe also more in the holistic approach and the wellness pyramid and seeing like the overview of wellness, the total wellness. Mm. What's the wellness pyramid? So basically, it's a pyramid or a triangle, and you have the mental approach at the bottom of the triangle, and on the side, you have the nutrition and movement. So basically, the triangle to what you say is to reach optimal health is that you have a balance in between all sides of the triangle. So you have the mental approach, the social aspects, the psychological aspects, like you just mentioned, but you also have the movement, the physical activity, and the nutritional part. And everything is in, in synergy in your life, basically. This is when you reach optimal health. And then I guess, B, you've taken this concept and you've you've added tech and you made it more accessible to the masses. Exactly, exactly. This is our our objective. Because the, the model is very much, I can see, being applied to just human behaviors and how we mm-hmm. collectively approach food and health. But the coaching is where you get very personalized with the individual. Exactly. I think this is one of our main uh, USPs because a lot of the apps today and solutions today, they give you a programming, for example. But this is a basically a one-on-one coaching because you have the coaches there socializing with you and interacting with you and motivating you. So, yeah. Yeah, that's super useful to know. So it's kind of holistic and then you're able to go deeper with a with a personal coach. That's awesome. Exactly. But I exactly. love the fact that it's still personalized in a holistic way. Yeah. Like it's yeah. not saying you need to eat this at this time of day to do this. This is about, you know, mind, body, soul catered to the individual. Yeah, oh, that's really interesting. So Tommy, Lux Research covers many different areas of technology, but you've got a particular interest in personalized nutrition, as far as I can tell. So how did you get into it? Yeah, I mean, um, both personally and professionally have had, you know, kind of a, a journey uh, between myself and, and diet. And so really just kind of grew this interest for, you know, it's interesting with food, we have an infinite number of choices and an infinite number of possible health outcomes. So kind of deconstructing that massive problem and understanding kind of the available tools and technologies that can be used by consumers, including myself, to kind of help make more informed dietary decision making. Okay, cool. And in terms of Lux research and what you guys are doing, what are there any particular areas within personalized nutrition that you're particularly sort of working on or interested in? Essentially, the way that we look at it is For personalized nutrition, there's data input and data output. Data output is the dietary recommendation that you're going to be making to a consumer. And then on the data input, we see kind of four buckets 
of data types that can be used to generate these personalized nutrition recommendations. So we look at the enabling technologies within each of those. So in terms of, you know, physical trait and lifestyle data, you know, what we've eaten, what physical exercise, uh, height, weight, gender, or that rudimentary type of information. And then there's, you know, biomarkers. I think most importantly, the, the biomarkers within our blood, like nutrient levels, but it could be urine, saliva, you know, you name it. Genetics, you know, how that, our genes influence the way that we metabolize food. And then the, the microbiome, really the gut microbiome. And, you know, how does the food that we eat then either kind of increase or decrease certain microbes within our gut? And then what are those gut microbes producing? The metabolites and how that impacts health. So those are the areas that we're looking at and excited. And this is certainly not mutually exclusive. I think that's kind of the next generation of personalized nutrition is how do we kind of bring all of those different types of data together? Mm. Because you, you really can't, if you're looking at just one, you're looking at one window into, into someone's health. Mm, that's really interesting. I think that's what we're chatting to Emma about with BU, the holistic approach. So Emma, you know, you're, what you've described with BU is sort of a step above, but some of the things that uh, Tommy mentioned, like, is that something, those different four areas, is that something BU is thinking about incorporating or already incorporates into your app? I mean, everything is possible for the future. And as a product manager, obviously, this is something that we're looking into to try and see how we can always improve and, and go above. But yeah, as long as, as we, I mean, as I explained before, obviously, with BU, we have the holistic approach. But for a future reference, of course, it would be super interesting to go deeper into each of the sides of the pyramids that we have, which is nutrition, movement, and mental health. And of course, inside nutrition, something something of these that Tommy mentioned, it would be super interesting to look deeper into and see how we can incorporate it into a digital approach, such as the, the BU app, for example. Yeah, I, was gonna say, I mean, I could understand the challenge that's in front of Emma, because what I've just painted I mean, it's extremely difficult to do, technically speaking, right? To to be able to capture and measure and report on someone's biomarkers, genetics, microbiome. But at the end of the day, we personalized nutrition companies need to make a, a solution that's you know affordable and accessible to consumers. So when you start putting all of those things together, your costs are going to go up. So it is a bit of, of asking for the best <laughs> of both worlds, but. Um, Ultimately, though, I think that's that's the direction that we have to push, and and that's where I see things going. What areas can we personalize our life for? Can it be everything? Do you think going forward? So, you go into hospital and you need to recover. Is there going to be like a personalized nutrition something which is easy and accessible for people at that stage, or maybe at different stages of your life? You know, you you get to a certain age and you need different types of nutrition or food intolerances. Will we just be able to? go super deep on, on all of this in the future, do you think? I mean, the future that I see, obviously, technology-wise, super advanced. So I'm seeing someone going into, like for the example that you said, going into a hospital and, uh, I don't know, putting their finger on a, on a stick that takes the blood and then they know exactly what kind of, of nutrition or uh, nutrients that they're missing or they can get all of the information of this person. I mean... This is something that I would see in the future. I don't know, maybe not that far away, but yeah, it's it's super interesting for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, it, 
It totally depends on what time horizon you're working on. Yeah. I mean, personalization, especially if I look through the eyes of my clients, which are mainly the large multinational, you know, food and beverage, CBGs and ingredient companies. I mean, it's it's a it's a crawl, walk, run situation in terms of personalization. I, th- I think we're actually still kind of, we're still in the crawl, maybe getting towards the walk. I mean, it's, it's an, you know, I used the word evolution before and kind of step one is, how do I just guide my consumers to kind of existing products? Just like that personalized advice and nudge recommendations to existing products. And then the full blown out when we're in the run stage, that's where we have, okay, biomarkers, genetics, microbiome, and we're going to give you this custom formulated, you know, food or beverage or supplement. It's in that direction, but right now we're still kind of in that in that crawl to walk phase where we just need to give the right advice, I think, to, to consumers. And I think, you know, you both touch upon this as a complex space and a lot of it is being pushed forward through technology. And in terms of what you were saying, Tommy, who do you think is sort of leading the way right now when it comes to tech and personalized nutrition? Is it startups? And I know you talked about your clients. Are your clients coming to you because they're looking to catch up? Is the industry leading this space? What are your perspectives on this? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is primarily startup driven, although certainly, I mean, if I think about like DSM and Nestle, I mean, they've made quite a bit of investment into this space. I mean, just, what was it, a week ago, DSM launched spin-off hologram sciences, $100 million. So they are putting a lot wow. of investment. But in terms of some of the tech development and really kind of capturing those, you know, bleeding or leading edge consumers, mainly startup driven. So, I mean, the companies that I definitely give the tip of the cap to are ones like Bayes that actually just got acquired recently. I think what they've done well there is create an affordable solution for consumers and and simple measuring blood uh, biomarkers. Another one, day two, that I think they've really honed in on a very valuable use case in diabetes management and looking, really kind of owning that market, which sure, that's one use case, but that's a very large addressable market right there. So those are, those are definitely some of the companies that I rank kind of higher in my mind. Amazing. Thanks, Tommy. Can we just, so from some tech then, can we talk about what we were alluded to at the start of the podcast about fads. So the thing we often have to navigate in the, the food for health space is, is misinformation. And sadly, there are a lot of products out there which make claims that go against, maybe let's call it sensible science. And it's often just quite confusing to the consumer. So a very broad question, but in this space, you know, how, how do we distinguish what's good, you know, actually has, is credible and has real merit and what's, what's a fad? So, I mean, you both have started to talk about a lot of these already, but so if I throw some examples in DNA profiling, gut health testing, food intolerances, sleep tracking, hormone tracking, recovery from illness, old age personalization, are these all things which are either already here or are coming and are going to be something you think are going to play a big role in our lives? Or are there some which you're thinking, mm, actually, that kind of raises a bit of an eyebrow for me, and I'm not sure that that's really credible and more of a fad. Tommy, what do you think? Yeah, there's, a, I guess, a couple of ways to unpack that. I guess, first, in terms of what's more established from kind of a scientific body of evidence standpoint, I think in terms of biomarkers and nutrigenetics and nutrigenomics, we have, we have a, I think, enough 
be able to create some incredible recommendations in terms of gut health and the microbiome. I think there's still a lot more unknowns in terms of knowns. You know, what does an actual quote unquote good and healthy microbiome look like? And is that the same for me? Is that the same for you? I think that's really kind of the big lingering question. And then an area that I think is very exciting, but is really early days is, is more around kind of digital biomarkers. So how do we take information about, you know, stress levels or, I mean, Emma with, with mental health, I don't know if you face challenges there, really being able to accurately read that and draw inferences. And then in terms of, you know, when I'm looking at personalized nutrition companies and kind of vetting their own credibility, I see kind of three different shades. One is kind of doing the data scraping exercise. I mean, looking at the thousands and thousands of, of studies that are out there on a certain area and then using, you know, natural language processing to be able to create some model of human health based on that. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little questionable about it. Mm-hmm. I think that gets you a lot of data, but not necessarily a lot of insight. And then uh, second would be more of quite a few companies do this, actually having your own internal team of research scientists, nutritionists that um, actually manually annotate, you know, all these studies. And that develops kind of the body of knowledge to create recommendations from. And then the third, which I think is the gold standard is you've done your own peer-reviewed research to validate your platform. So like I, I mentioned day two, so they're an example of a company that's, you know, done a fair bit of that study or, or real world evidence to kind of validate what they're doing. So that's, that's the way I, I kind of see all of that. Thanks, Tommy. And I guess coming back to you, Emma, sort of from that going up again, that holistic view, are there any interesting fads or trends that you hear from your clients that you have to work hard to unpick from BU to sort of educate your customer base? I mean, we work a lot on social media and on social media, In if we go to influencers, for example, there can be a lot of, uh, I mean, influencers, they want to post content out there mainly to get engagement, you know, so mm. for many of the influencers, they don't really care, let's say, what kind of content they get, what they care about is that, that it gets good engagement. So there's a lot of misinformation, let's say, on social media, especially on Instagram, in people becoming influencers and they call themselves, for example, online coaches or wellness coaches, and they can push any kind of content they want out there without it being controlled. So actually we get a lot of clients that feel really depressed about Instagram and and the content that is being said out there, which can be really misleading. So we're kind of fighting against this to try and also bring influencers into our platform to push the good content out there instead of it and having it more controlled in a way as well. So I guess this is our main challenge that we see. There's just so much out there. To yeah. And I know personally, I get very confused about what's true, what's actually sound scientific advice versus someone's um, opinion. Yeah, it's a real challenge, isn't it? I mean, this is one of the things we're always trying to work on at EIT Food. It's like giving people that sound advice and making sure that people know where to go to for that advice. It's just... How do people mm. distinguish, you know, so you have BU obviously have fully vetted coaches and people who are going to give really good, credible advice. But how does somebody online know if they're any good? How do people get clarity on this? I guess I'm trying to say. 
Yeah, you need to really know how to look for content and 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 have your own kind of knowledge as well to know what what information is misleading and what is not. Yeah, I mean, I guess the at some point you need a kind of a human in the loop, you know. So like with BU, right, using coaches and whatnot, I think that's a way that helps kind of substantiates and establishes credibility. I mean, and just a feedback loop in general, you know, if you were to sign on to one of these programs, you can pretty quickly see, you know, is this helping or, or, or hurting my health and then decide whether it's it's worth still paying more more money for. Yeah. Okay. Mm. We've all kind of gotten used to, uh, you know, not that far in the past to like the benchmark for healthy eating, which used to be that kind of eat well, play, eat well guide, make sure you get five fruits and veg a day which was that kind of fairly homogenous, everybody needs to reach this sort of standard. Do you think then, given everything you've been saying about personalized nutrition, that this kind of approach is now completely out of date or is there still merit to that? Emma, what do you think? I mean, I think guidelines can still be there, like more or less a generic what is good and what is not. And I think the generic is good for maybe the majority of the people, but depending on your goals and your objectives, and maybe if you have any special health issues, personalized nutrition might be the answer for you. But I think generic guidelines will always be there and they will always be helpful for people. As I said, majority of the people maybe that doesn't have any health issues or they're just looking to eat healthy or to be healthy. You know, you say, oh, you should work out three times a week or you should eat five vegetables a day. Or I think these will always be there in the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Mm. I guess you really can't go wrong with eating five fruits and veg a day. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's a baseline. What do you think, Tommy? Yeah, I mean, I think there's still plenty of merit there. I mean, as you said, right, like I, I can't think of any negative outcome of eating five fruits or vegetables today or, you know, eat more fiber, eat less saturated fat. I think those will always stand true. I think it's for me, I really see personalized nutrition as a vehicle for consumer empowerment. And to really kind of take health into their own hands. Because, I mean, if you look at, you know, the statistics in terms of diabetes, obesity, hypertension, currently, unfortunately, we're just kind of living and working in a broken system. So we just need to make healthcare that much more proactive as opposed to reactive. So personalized nutrition is an opportunity to do that. Amazing. Mm, that's, yeah, Thanks. That's really interesting. And there's obviously loads of positives that we're talking about here. I just wonder, are there any not so positives within the personalized nutrition space. So could personalized nutrition make us all go overboard? Where is that health line? If somebody becomes maybe fixated on a particular part of their diet um, and they become obsessive about it, it becomes too prescriptive for people and it maybe takes the, the connection away with food. One of the examples, so Emma, you were talking about before where you get your maybe DNA profiled and somebody then makes you up a, a kind of a healthy, nutritious shake which is apparently matched to what you need, but then does that disconnect you from food in general and kind of take away that whole enjoyment and social aspect of food? Could this go too far, do you think, Tommy? Uh, I mean, it's in the realm of possibilities, but I would consider it a very extreme edge case. That's why I kind of bring up what I've mentioned before, having that feedback loop, you know, especially a human in the loop, Mm. approach. I think that kind of establishes the guardrails to make sure that someone isn't going to kind of go to to that extent. Great. Thank you. And Emma, do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. 
yeah, I think it's very important to have a, a platform or a human, as Thomas said, in the loop to make sure that it doesn't go over overboard. It, 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 it can actually easily happen, I would say. We see people uh, being obsessed today or being, um, I mean, having issues with nutrition or fitness or any kind of, again, seeing the whole wellness uh, triangle that if you take one of the aspects too far, it becomes an obsession. Mm. And then you're losing your mental aspect out of the triangle again. So it's about, again, creating the balance in between the the three uh, aspects of the wellness pyramid. I think this is key. Taking one too far, then yeah. it can become an issue. I think that's been a Mm, I think that's been a big takeaway for me so far, that human element, like you've both said, yeah. making sure there's always a human in the loop to keep everyone grounded and not to get get too lost in the details and the science behind all of this. When I think about, you know, nutrition and personalized nutrition, you know, we start thinking about, you know, these new foods, superfoods and that are coming up and especially, you know, going to level of microbiome and DNA with possibly new foods being coming into supply chain or more demand for different types of food because they're they're deemed a superfood. So any thoughts on how the knock-on impact on this and the supply chains or sustainability? Because sometimes I feel like health and sustainability can sometimes be disconnected and competing for each other. You know, we need to eat more quinoa because it's going to be more protein, but the planet cannot take growing more quinoa. So any thoughts on that, on, on connecting this new forward with personalized nutrition, but keeping a mine on sustainability? I don't know if I see them, at least right now, in terms of competing. I guess what my biggest concern with as kind of some of these new types of products develop is um, are they at the appropriate dosage and quality for uh, an individual consumer? And that's very, you know, kind of dependent on the safety and um quality of, I guess, of, of your supply chain. So that's where I would be more concerned in terms of, you know, these ingredients or foods not being at the right dosage and quality for an individual and maybe being kind of having claims overextended. Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. It feels like the food industry is sort of connecting with the medical industry with clinical trials mm. and getting that stamp of uh, good quality and, you know, actually delivering what it says in the box. Okay, that's interesting. So trust and transparency in that sort of supply chain is something you see, Tommy. What about you, Emma? Do you see any potential issues? Yeah, trust and transparency in the end of the day. I mean, what you see on the box, because personally, I always check the ingredients. I check the calories on, on the back of the package. And I always think to myself, what if, I mean, you can always put ingredients and you can put the caloric intake but is it really correct do mm. i really trust mm. what is on the packaging here because i know in eu from correct me if i'm wrong but it's possible that you can change the caloric intake on some of the products i mean you can't put whatever but it's not maybe 100% controlled the way we would prefer and uh, in the us for example you can round up or you can round down the calories on the packaging, which in the end of the day, I mean, the trust and transparency will take mm. will take a, a hit. I did not know that rounding with calories. That's um, yeah. That's a new one on me. Okay, I'm gonna. Have in, yeah, in the US, they can say even if the calories are ninety two, let's say they can put ninety. 
Every couple helps, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's only two calories, but if you sum it up during a day or a month, it's a lot of calories. And there's probably something psychological there as well, isn't there? They've probably re realized that, they, that there's a level where if you go over it, people think, well, that's a lot. But if you stay under it, it feels, oh, okay, that's okay to have. So, yeah, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Mm. So we've spoken a lot about the, the positives and there's obviously some, some sort of issues as well that we've discussed. But in terms of getting like consumers to adopt this and really embrace personalized nutrition. So what are the key considerations for getting people on board with it all? I'm just kind of listening to you both talking and there's so much to this. It could, for example, be seen by consumers as being quite complex and therefore people will say, oh, it's just too complicated. It takes too much time. This is not for me. How do we kind of overcome these sort of barriers? Tommy, maybe you've got a view. Yeah, I think it's really contingent on personalized nutrition companies' business model and go-to-market strategy. Honestly, I think going purely direct to consumer and asking them to pull out $100, you know, hundreds of dollars out of their pocket is just isn't a sustainable business model. We've seen companies like that fail. So what I'm 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 really excited about more of kind of the B2B to C business to business to consumer way to get, you know, to consumers. So for example, you know, through your healthcare practitioner. So when you go to a doctor for a checkup, you could actually get access to some sort of personalized nutrition program that way. Or uh, through, you know, large corporations and, and wellness programs, you know, getting it that way. And ideally having it subsidized in, in some way, shape or form to help defray that out-of-pocket cost. So I think that's really the biggest barrier that we need to get over in terms of, you know, going from niche to mainstream for personalized nutrition is those paths to get to the consumer. Mm, that's really interesting. And that sounds like a quite more of an equitable model because I can see something as personalized nutrition being quite expensive and not being affordable by all. Yep. So that's a really interesting model. So what about you, Emma? Like, what are some of the barriers that, you know, you must be dealing with this all the time because you deal directly with consumers. So what are some barriers that BU faces and what are some strategies you've taken? Yeah, so I think once again, like we mentioned before, to put a human in the loop, a platform or someone professional, a nutritionist or, or someone controlling this, because I see the B2C market can easily spiral out of control. And if companies going B2C, I mean, how would you be able to control exactly what it is that they're selling directly to the consumers? How will you be able to make sure that we're not risking the challenges that we've mentioned here previously with uh, obsession and the mental health aspect of it all. Is it really healthy for users to be to have these products available open on the market? Or is it better to go, like Tommy is also mentioning, to be to see way of it all, I think. So there needs to be some kind of accountability within all of this, it seems. And Tommy, you mentioned that you've seen some some companies have tried to go the, the, the B2C route and have failed. I'm quite interested in that. So I think we were looking at um, the Lux website and you were saying that in 2019, three prominent mm. companies failed despite each being backed by more than $50 million and having really strong tech foundations. So yeah. is it is that the reasons because they tried to go direct to consumer or 
what why else would this would they have failed do you think yeah i mean at least in part for two of them so for habit and uh re vale i think the most obvious one is with re vale and it's interesting their founders and management teams have been fairly transparent since they shut down the reasons why they ceased operations but a lot of it had to do with yeah they're going direct to consumer it was extremely expensive and they changed their kind of product structure and pricing multiple times, but which in and of itself was not helpful. But uh, the last time I had checked when they were around in like 2018 or 2019, the baseline offering just to get your foot in the door was shy of a thousand USD. That's incredibly expensive. Wow. Yeah, for, for them, it was very challenging in a lot of ways, but primarily, you know, just based on them trying to go direct to consumer in that fashion. Okay. And Emma, you've obviously BU seem to be going from strength to strength. So what's what's your secret sauce here? What you know, if you're a startup entering in this space, what what is it that you're doing so well that means that you're continuing to grow like this? I think I want to come back to the wellness pyramid again, that we have a holistic approach and that we're not focusing only on one aspect of health. We're focusing on all aspects. And obviously, uh, you can always dig deeper and you can go into more detail of each and every aspect, but you will need all three parts of the triangle, the movement, nutrition and mental health for it all to work out in the end of the day. And I think this is our key to success. Love Mm. that. Congrats. Yeah, thanks. No, that sounds great. I'm becoming a big believer that this should be something that's prescribed on the uh, NHS or the healthcare system. Yeah. <laughs> More prevention and less focus on the treatment. Yeah, brilliant. I love it. So thank you both. We're nearly out of time today, but we still have some final big picture questions here. So what do you think is going to have the biggest impact on getting everyone healthy? Emma. I mean, can I come back to the wellness triangle again? I don't want to be repetitive. But... <laughs> it's all about the triangle. Do it. Yeah. It's all about the triangle. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I mean, wellness triangle aside, but I think what we hope, let's say, for the future is, is for corporates and brand owners to also take more responsibility. Mm. Uh, I mean, we can only reach as many people as a platform, but on our own, I mean, but with the help of corporates or brand owners, I think we could reach even more people. And obviously our objective is to, uh, for people to be as healthy as they can be. And yeah, if corporates and brand owners would take more responsibility, both for their customers and employees to be more healthy, I think this could be a door opener for many possibilities and uh, Mm, for people to be more healthy in general. Definitely. That's a good point. And Tommy, uh, what, what what do you reckon? Is this is just, just a question of cost? Do we just bring this down to a, a low price point so that everybody loves this or is this something else? It's definitely a big part. I mean, I, you know, kind of my, my three A's that I think of, you know, affordability, accessibility, which I had mentioned before, but then also actionability. And then, you know, having a solution that touches on all three and then, you know, being able to seamlessly integrate with the consumer's, you know, daily lifestyle. I mean, that... That's really the holy grail that's going to create a tipping point. So maybe an impossible task, but hopefully hopefully we can get there. Mm. And I think the answer to that comes back to the wellness triangle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I, I think that's a really great model. 
Okay, guys, thank you so much for that. Um, thank you, thank you both. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. I mean, what a huge topic and what a fascinating space. So uh, thank you very much. What's the the next big thing you are focusing on in each of your companies? So Emma, what's kind of next coming up for BU? We want to scale and obviously improve our product. As a product manager, we're always we're always looking for what's the biggest next thing in in especially for apps. I mean, developing an app, anything is possible. Basically, all you need is uh, is budget and and time. <laughs> but I think definitely keeping inside the wellness triangle and going deeper into each side of the triangle and see how we can personalize the experience even more for the users. Personalized nutrition, inside fitness, mental health, how we can improve and how we can provide consumers with uh, more personalized content, which will help them to reach optimal health. Mm. Thanks, Emma. And, and what about you, Tommy? What's next for you and Lux? Yeah, a couple different things. Um, you know, in terms of technology, connecting the dots between different kind of types of data, like I was talking about before, biomarkers, genetics, microbiome, so on and so forth. Uh, business model, seeing those companies that are kind of tap into kind of intermediary channels uh, to get to consumers, whether that's employers, insurers, even it could be healthcare practitioners. And then third, which I don't think we touched on, at least maybe alluded to with, you know, the likes of DSM and Nestle making a lot of investments and even acquisitions. How do they kind of aggregate and put the pieces together themselves to kind of create this personalized nutrition portfolio for consumers? Because I think right now they've just kind of made all these one-off bets, but how do you, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see how they put it all together. Mm. Great. Yeah, definitely an interesting and interesting growing space. So for our listeners, where can they go for more information? Where can they go and get the app? They can get more information on buapp.com. <laughs> Perfect. And uh, Thomas, where can listeners go to find out more information about some of the stuff you've spoke about today? Yeah, I mean, definitely we have um, Lux Research. We we have a blog, you know, it's free to the public. So that's a great way to stay on top of, of what we're researching and discussing. And then our LinkedIn page, I would say those are the two best uh, places. Okay, perfect. Thanks so much for that. Fantastic. Well, in which case, it's just left to me to say thank you both for your time today. Uh, like I say, a fascinating conversation and uh, really looking forward to seeing how this space grows. And uh, I'll be definitely watching both of your companies a lot more closely. I'm definitely going to get that app as well, Emma. So, uh, yeah, uh, yeah <laughs> I, I'm, I'm coming to you. Cool. So thank you both. Thank you so much. Thank you. So thanks once again to Tommy and Emma. This has been the Food Fight Podcast. As ever, if you'd like to find out more, head over to the EIT Food website at www.eitfood.eu or hit us up on Twitter at EIT Food. And if you haven't already, please hit the follow button so you never miss an episode. That's it for now. Thanks for listening, everyone.